This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Next month, on August 21st specifically, and for the first time in a little while, there will be a solar eclipse as the shadow of the moon crosses in front of the sun. It is expected to occur just past noon Eastern time, just past 9 a.m. Pacific. And the event is expected to cover a variety of states across the U.S. It's going to produce a 70-mile-wide band of darkness that will be seen by tens of millions of people. The same event happened back in 1878 at the height of the Wild West, and it was an important event for at least three scientists wanting to learn more. David Barron chronicles that story and those of those scientists, uh, which includes inventor Thomas Edison in his book, American Eclipse, a nation's epic race to catch the shadow of the moon and win the glory of the world. And David Barron joins us right now. David, welcome. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. Thank you. I, I mentioned Thomas Edison, but you also profile uh, James Craig Watson, who was a planet hunter, and astronomer Maria Mitchell. Why these three? Well, so the eclipse of 1878, which passed over America's Wild West, it basically went from Montana Territory down to Texas, attracted dozens of the era's great scientists out to that part of the country to study the sun and solar system. And in the end, I chose those three characters because they all had something really on the line and something to prove. Thomas Edison was out to show that he was a scientist, not just an inventor. James Craig Watson from the University of Michigan was out to find a planet called Vulcan. <laughs> and Mariah <laughs> Mitchell from Vassar, who was uh, a rare female scientist, in fact, by far the most famous one in the United States, was out to show the American public that women could be scientists. Well, with Edison, uh, this solar eclipse was in advance uh, of him discovering the light bulb. And, and I guess to a degree, this kind of helped him down that path. Yeah, well, so it's a fascinating, fascinating time in the life of Thomas Edison. He went west in 1878 for this total solar eclipse right after he had become a global celebrity because of his invention of the phonograph. Yeah. And the very day after he returned from Wyoming, he started work on the light bulb. And there are some subtle ways in which his eclipse expedition helped him with the light bulb. Frankly, most importantly, because of his what he learned about public relations, which was key to his ability to raise money and keep the press on his side while he worked and worked and worked to perfect the light bulb. So I, I guess to a degree he had kind of developed some of that PR knowledge when he went through the development of the phonograph, but you know th this uh, this understanding was a little bit heightened beyond that, correct? Exactly. Well, so yeah, he. I mean, Edison was just a natural with PR, uh, but he in the summer of 1878 he just had the the newspapers wrapped around his finger as he headed west for the eclipse. He came up with a device called the tesimeter which was going to be bigger than the phonograph, as the newspapers said, which was a very sensitive heat detector that he was going to use to study the eclipsed sun. And yet he had the newspapers writing really glowing reports about the tesimeter even before he had ever created it. And that's the same thing he did with the light bulb. He claimed that he had solved the problem of incandescent lighting long before he really had, but he kept the press on his side until he actually did solve the problem. Uh, Maria Mitchell, 
as you mentioned, she was trying to prove that you know women could be very successful uh, business people, scientists uh, on a variety of different levels. And the timing, as you mentioned, is interesting because you know we are still forty years or so away from uh, the women uh, the women's right to vote. Yes, and in fact, in, so the 1870s was a time when higher education for women was just getting off the ground. Vassar College had been founded in the 1860s, and then Wellesley and others were coming along. But actually, that was a time when, when educating women in college was considered a dangerous experiment, and I'm not kidding yeah. about this. There was a book that came out in 1873, that this was by a Harvard doctor, that claimed that higher education could ruin a girl's health that actually if a woman, if a young woman used her brain too much, it sapped energy from her maturing reproductive organs and would turn her into a, a sterile masculine invalid. And this was taken seriously. And so in 1878, Mariah Mitchell, who of course thought this was ridiculous, put together an all-female expedition of scientists out to Denver, Colorado. It was, of course, a scientific expedition, but it was more than that. It was kind of a political theater to show the American public that this book was crazy yeah. and that women could be educated, smart, scientifically minded, and healthy as well. So tell us more about, about James Craig Watson, because, as you mentioned, he was, he was in search of a planet. Yes, right. So, so uh, long before the planet Vulcan showed up on Star Trek, back in the 1800s, it was thought to be a real planet. Um, it was thought to orbit the sun um, between Mercury and the sun. So if you look at some solar system diagrams from that period, the, the planets, be, they go Vulcan, Mercury, uh, Venus, Earth. Now, the reason uh, astronomers thought Vulcan existed was because Mercury's orbit didn't quite make sense based on Newtonian mechanics. It acted as if there was something tugging on it. And so astronomers guessed that there must be a planet between Mercury and the Sun. They called it Vulcan. No one had ever reliably seen it, but then it orbited so close to the Sun, they thought, that you would never be in the sky at night, and you couldn't see it in the daytime because it would be lost in the Sun's glare. Right. However, during a total eclipse, when the Moon blocks the bright surface of the Sun, enabling you to look right around the Sun, you might be able to catch a glimpse of Vulcan. And James Craig Watson who had made a reputation for himself by finding asteroids, which were considered minor planets, small planets, he was determined to find Vulcan during the eclipse of 1878. How long in advance was it known back then that, that this solar eclipse was actually going to occur? Uh, and as you mentioned, there are a variety of scientists that were obviously interested in this. It was known decades beforehand. Right. I mean, I, I dare say it... Uh, probably even a century beforehand. I mean, by the 1800s, astronomers knew how to predict eclipses with great accuracy, and they knew they might not be able to to map the the path of the total eclipse down to uh, a couple of miles until maybe a few years beforehand. But they knew the eclipse was coming long in advance. David Barron joins us. He is the author of the book American Eclipse. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So. I mean, this event occurs, and, and we mentioned about the path that, that Thomas Edison took. What happened with, uh, with the other two, with Mr. Watson and Miss Mitchell, post-eclipse? Well, so, yeah, so James Craig Watson uh, uh, 
during the eclipse of 1878, he convinced himself that he actually found the planet Vulcan. And that was the big headline to come out of the eclipse of 1878. And in fact, Americans were very proud that one of their own, an American astronomer, had found this planet that astronomers had been looking for for so long. Of course, we know today that Watson was wrong. There is no planet Vulcan. But that was not immediately evident. And uh, within a year after the eclipse, um, other scientists were starting to question if maybe he was wrong. He had uh, quite the ego, however, and James Craig Watson could never accept there was any chance that he had been wrong. And he came up with with a crazy scheme to find Vulcan without an eclipse. He was going to build a special telescope to find it. And he quite literally worked himself to death two years after the eclipse, um, trying to find Vulcan. It was his mm-hmm. ultimate downfall. As for Mariah Mitchell, she, she, was, she went on and continued to push for, for women's higher education and women, women in science. She was getting on in years, however. This was sort of the very end of her career. Um, and, um, but she, she left her mark. I mean, a whole generation of female scientists came along after her, um, those who were educated by her and those who were educated by her former students, um, and she really left her mark on opening the doors uh, to science uh, for women. But this was kind of an important time for for scientists here in the United States as well, because it chronicled about the fact that at that period of time, uh, the the more well known scientists were pretty much in other parts of the world, comparison to the U.S. And as you, I think you kind of alluded to a little bit ago. There are several people in the U.S. that kind of saw this as the, one of the U.S.'s kind of scientific breakthroughs. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And that's one of the reasons I call my book American Eclipse. It wasn't just because the eclipse took took place in the United States, but because America really embraced this eclipse as its chance to show the world what we could do in science. You know, by 1878... The United States had definitely emerged on the global stage as an industrial power. We were being taken very seriously economically. But intellectually, Europe looked down on us. Mm -hmm. Europe was where most of the world's respectable literature and art and music and architecture came from. And Europe was the center of science. And in fact, there were Europeans who thought that the United States would never compete in any significant way when it came to science. But there was a small band of American astronomers and other scientists who were determined to show Europe that we could compete. And the eclipse of 1878 became a chance for the American public to rally around the scientists and to decide that we did want to compete in that realm. And it didn't take very long. I mean, by the turn of the century, the United States really was a peer with Europe when it came to science. And by the early 20th century, we had become the world's leader. But what's amazing is when you think about the eclipse itself, uh, you know, that occurred that uh, that day, it, it's not a long event. I mean, it's <laughs> it's usually just a couple of minutes, but, uh, you know, kind of getting the, the information and gathering it and kind of taking it forward, that's really the, the, the groundbreaking part. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's the thing about a total solar eclipse. And I am an eclipse chaser myself. I have seen five total solar eclipses. They are exceedingly brief. They usually last just two or three minutes, but they are just absolutely awe-inspiring. And so here I was writing a book about an event that lasted three minutes in 1878, but that was a really important three minutes. It took, you know, astronomers planned for literally years uh, put together their expeditions over the course of months, traveled for days or weeks to get out to the West, 
And it all came down to three minutes of observation. But it was a really important three minutes. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. We're talking with David Barron, who is the author of the book American Eclipse. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, we'll talk more about the book in a second, but I mean, let, let's talk about what's going to happen next month uh, and where people across the United States are going to be able to, to view the, the eclipse that's coming up on August 21st. Yes, so... As you said earlier, uh, you know, t solar eclipses are not that rare, but total solar eclipses are very rare for any given point on Earth. Right. And so what's going to happen on August 21st is uh, this will be the first time in 38 years that a total solar eclipse has been visible from anywhere in the uh, 48 lower United States. And it will be the first time in 99 years that a total solar eclipse will cross the country coast to coast. So... Hmm. First of all, everyone in North America will see at least a partial eclipse on August 21st. So it is an event that everyone will be involved in, uh, and I should say will find should find a way to observe safely without damaging their eyes. Right. For those, however, in what's called the path of totality, which is 70 miles wide and goes from Oregon to South Carolina, in that zone, for up to two minutes forty seconds the eclipse will be total. And a total solar eclipse is a fundamentally different experience from a partial eclipse. During the total eclipse, it will go dark in the middle of the day, uh, bright stars and planets will come out. And during the total eclipse, but and only the total eclipse, it actually is safe to look at the sun with the naked eye. And you will see a sun like none you've seen before. It's just mm. the most glorious sight in the heavens. You'll see the sun's outer atmosphere, which is called the solar corona, its crown. And that's what it looks like, a shimmering golden crown in the heavens. So for uh, for myself here being in Philadelphia, obviously I'm not directly on the line. And, and uh, ironically enough, uh, this is supposedly going to occur about four minutes after we get done our show on yeah. August 21st. So if I want to run up to the top of this building and see it from Philadelphia, Philadelphia, what am I going to see? Sure. So, so first of all, that although the total eclipse for those who are in the path will last no more than two minutes forty seconds, the partial eclipse will last for several hours. Okay. So, uh, for up to two and a half to three hours, depending on where you are. Uh, so, during the partial eclipse, which is all you'll get in Philadelphia and all that most people will get across the country. Yeah. You want to observe it safely. The best way to do it is to get yourself a pair of eclipse glasses. Uh, they don't have to be very expensive. It can cost all of $2 or so. Um, you might be able to find them in your own area, or you can buy them online. And uh, I don't make any money off them, but I've got <laughs> links to places where you can buy them at my website, which is American-Eclipse.com. I've got a page all about the August 21st eclipse with links to places where you can get, for instance, eclipse glasses with them. Uh, you can actually look at the sun safely and see the sun turn into a crescent uh, and then become its normal sun again, and, and that will happen. Where will you be? Well, I will be in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, which is in the path of totality. So in Jackson, mm -hmm. for 2 minutes 20 seconds, uh, at about 11.35 in the morning, the sun will completely go away. <laughs> and... Uh, and we'll be able to look up in the sky and see the planets and stars. So when you go back and, and think about uh, 1878 and, and what you wrote about, uh, was this to a degree a little bit of a feeding frenzy by the scientific community because of this event? Yeah, I mean, again, because a total eclipse was, for any given point on Earth, very rare. So I, I, just to, to explain, 
A total eclipse will occur somewhere on Earth about once every 18 months, but only in a very small area and often very hard to get to. So back in that era, scientists would send these expeditions off to wherever the total eclipse was going to be, India or North Africa or Siberia. But here it was pretty rare to have one in our own backyard. So even though it was only three minutes, it was a feeding frenzy. It was it was an opportunity no one wanted to miss out on, and that's why so many folks from, uh, I should say, in fact, someone from the University of Pennsylvania, George Barker, who was a physicist at the University of Pennsylvania, he came out to Wyoming. He was one of the folks who traveled with Edison to study the, the eclipse. But folks from Yale and Harvard and Johns Hopkins and the University of Michigan and and Vassar, of course, uh, all came out west because it was just a, an opportunity not to be missed. Well, I, in in looking back at at the three people that you chronicle in this book, uh, obviously with with Thomas Edison and uh, with uh, Mr. Watson, I mean they had a, a direct interest in something playing off of the solar eclipse. The sense I got with Maria Mitchell, Mariah Mitchell, is is that obviously she was wanting to gather data about what happened, but her goal wasn't necessarily the learning off of the eclipse itself. It was, it was a proving ground for women and for what they could do. Absolutely, yeah. She was really trying to change people's minds uh, more than trying to discover something on the in the sun or so, and solar system. But then you could say the same about Edison. He uh, he was trying to conduct a study of the sun, but everything he did was uh, involved with public relations, and this was an opportunity to bolster his reputation not only as a an inventor but actually as a scientist as well, someone to be taken seriously uh, beyond just tinkering in the laboratory. You mentioned about Watson working himself to death. Was there a, a belief back in that day that, that Watson, I mean, obviously there was uh, there was some uh, concern about his idea of this planet Vulcan, but was there a, a belief at one point that, that Watson was following something that could possibly be true, that there could be this other planet out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, certainly in the weeks after the eclipse, he was largely believed. Um, for good reason. You know, James Craig Watson was a highly respected uh, astronomer. And if anyone had the skills to find a planet in just three minutes of midday darkness, you know, you have to quickly scan the heavens to look for something that's not a star. Yeah. Uh, it was James Craig Watson because he had a talent for finding asteroids, which, as I say, were, were considered planets in that era. But still, he you know, three minutes is all he had, and he didn't spy what he thought was this planet until a minute and a half into the total eclipse. So, uh, so you know, again, if anyone should be believed, it was James Craig Watson, but still he had such a brief time that, uh, that it turned out he was wrong. But he was believed for quite some time afterwards, and uh, Vulcan was thought to have been found. And that eclipse, I think you mentioned before, it basically covered, what, from the northern end of the United States up in the Montana area all the way down to, to Texas, correct? Correct. And, and in Texas, the response to the eclipse was quite different. I mostly, in my book, focus on what happened in Colorado and Wyoming, where people knew the eclipse was coming and they were excited about it. Uh, however, I do open my book with uh, quite a dramatic story of what happened in Texas, where a lot of people didn't know it was coming, and they were out in their farm fields <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the afternoon and looked up in the sky, and suddenly the sun was gone, and it had been replaced by this shimmering crown in the heavens. And they were understandably absolutely terrified. And 
Uh, many were convinced it was Judgment Day, and this was Christ returning. And mm-hmm. one father, unfortunately, uh, took it very seriously and decided he was not going to stick around for uh, the apocalypse and decided oh. he was going to go to the other side as quickly as possible and take his son with him. And he killed his son with an axe, and then he took a razor to his own throat. And that was 1878. This was not ancient times. Um, in 1878, people were still terrified by eclipses, at how, least some were. How much do you think we can we can learn off of eclipses these days? Well, a lot of science will be going on during the August 21st eclipse. Um, there's still studies to be done of the, the, the sun's outer atmosphere, the solar corona, that can be done best during a total eclipse. And there are going to be some citizen science experiments uh, where... Uh, Members of the general public are being asked to take pictures and videos. There's one called the Eclipse Mega Movie Project, where you can sign up, download an app on your smartphone, and if you're in the path of totality, that 70-mile-wide path from Oregon to South Carolina, if you'll take pictures or videos with your smartphone, those will be uploaded and combined into a continuous movie of the eclipse that will be constructed uh, to see what the solar corona did during the hour and a half that it'll take Mm -hmm. for this moon's shadow to move from Oregon to South Carolina. David, thank you very much for your time today. We wish you all the best uh, on the 21st. Thank you again. Thank you, Dan. You too. Thank you. American Eclipse is the book. David Barron is the author. Uh, It is a very interesting uh, little piece of American history right there. And again, August 21st is the date of this uh, total solar eclipse. Uh, Seemingly, I was told like 12.04 Eastern time, He's talking more around the time of 11.30 or so Eastern time, but we'll be in that ballpark nonetheless. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.